They've watched Citizen Kane a combined 200 times. Elliot's first words were, I personally thought the use of Dutch angles was derivative in the 400 blows. And Nathan's favorite historical figure is Fritz Lang. Now they're bringing that snootiness to you with Magellan's at the Movies. Elliot, here we are, back for another episode, and here for our banter section. Elliot, would you like to, we, we have some big news in the Magellans at the Movies media universe, <laughs> the MMMU. Uh, Elliot, would you like to tell the listening audience what uh, this new development is? Yes, we're expanding our portfolio uh, with the new creatively named Magellan's at the Movies, the blog, where um, you'll be able to enjoy more in-depth movie content that you've come to know <laughs> and love from Magellan's at the Movies podcast, uh, written by me, Elliot Mogliines. So it's basically just like extra reviews and miscellaneous things and maybe some thoughts on ongoing film discourses. I want to be totally honest, all joking aside, the reason I'm doing this is because I'm trying to establish myself in the writing world. I'm trying to get a job as a writer in different places, and this is a good way to get experience and to have something to show employers. So I don't want you to think that I actually believe that I have anything worthwhile to say, because I probably don't, but still going to do my best. I'm going to write to the best of my ability and I'll, I'll, I'll try to keep things as engaging and amusing as possible. Um, the first two items are up right now. The link is on our, uh, thing, isn't it? It's on Spotify and wherever else you can find us. So, yeah. uh, yeah, give it a look, see, and I'll probably be updating it at least once a week. Uh, since I generally have about a new thought once every, say, three weeks or so, mostly it'll just be. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Yeah. Uh, check it out. The link is in the description on, you know, wherever you're listening or it's on the website. If you look us up on Google. Yeah. Just, if you just Google Magellan's at the movies blog. It'll show up. Yeah, most likely, if you Google all that. I didn't know there was two things. I read the first thing. I was very entertained by it. Thought it was very good. Elliot, just in case. In case. So, <laughs> yeah, if you want more of Magellan's at the Movies, but specifically just Elliot's part of it, <laughs> check out the blog. If you want more of just me, then interact with me in real life. Oh, also... <laughs> There, There is a function to comment on the blog. You can do that if you want, but I'm almost... And I'll read it, but I almost certainly will not respond. Unless you comment like, hey, I'm a, I'm a beautiful young woman who's very impressed by your insightful <laughs> film analysis and Baroque style. At which point I'll come in and say, go away! Because we don't hold with such shameless solicitation here. Thank you very much. Wow. 
Okay. Um, yeah. Saying all that, check on the blog, uh, pin it to, you know, your home page or however kids interact with blogs these days. Um, saying all that, let's uh, dive into the episode. This is another recommended movie. I'm going to be kicking myself because I should have asked my father to remind me of the name. I'm pretty sure this came from Rob in Miami. Elliot, you can correct me if that I sounds... Was thinking, I was thinking Rob. I don't know about the location. I'm pretty sure it's... I'm pretty sure Rob from Miami. If that's incorrect and some other person is listening to this and is like, hey, I recommended this, um, I guess tell my dad and then he'll tell me and we'll issue... <laughs> issue maybe one of our special episodes is going to be a whole list of... Um, us rescinding statements because Elliot's been listening back to the podcast and discovered more than a few points where we spread uh, incorrect information. Yeah, for the record, Jane Austen was writing in the early 19th century, not the late 19th century, and the xenomorph from Alien was designed by H.R. Geiger, not whoever I said. So, yeah, well, then, yeah, so these things happen. But anyway, this is a recommendation, and Elliot and I were more than happy to follow through. This is a movie, um, I'm pretty sure both of us, we watched at the same time. I want to say neither of us have watched it since, and we watched it sometime when I had to have been like a freshman in college is the oldest I could have been, I want to say. Freshman or sophomore in college. Elliot's shrugging. He doesn't know. Anyway, um, I'll let Elliot run it down, but the movie we're reviewing is Casablanca. Elliot, what is, what's, you know, what, what's, what's the deal with Casablanca? Uh, the deal is that it's a movie released in 1942, <clears throat> um, and in case Taika Waititi was wondering, it was directed by Michael Curtis, or Curtiz, I'm not 100% sure which, starring Hollywood legend Humphrey Bogart, uh, this movie is, in fact, itself a Hollywood legend, um, following a bar, a cynical, world-weary bar owner named Rick, who is living in Casablanca, which is in French-controlled Morocco, which, at this point in history, is actually Nazi-controlled Morocco. Well, it's Vichy France-controlled Morocco. Vichy France is the puppet state that Nazi Germany set up in France after they occupied it. So, basically... It's a kind of it's kind of in limbo between free France and Nazi France, and the Nazis don't have free reign to do whatever they want there. That's important to know because the story, the conflict of the story, revolves around a freedom fighter named Laszlo uh, and his wife Ilsa, who uh, are trying to get out of well, get out of the Western Hemisphere and get to America because they are fleeing from the Nazi army <clears throat> and the Nazis want to keep them there so they so that an eye can be kept on them and eventually trumped up charges can be brought against them but oh Ilsa ha has a history with Rick that becomes clear when they first met so the crux of the movie is about learning more about their relationship and Rick fighting his I guess, worst impulses to be apathetic and disinterested and maybe help the fight for free France. Um, viva la revolution and all that. 
So that's the that's the general plot structure. Yeah, and I think it's important to note here uh, two elements that are important when watching Casablanca. Uh, the first being this was released when America was still not in the war. I'm pretty sure. Nope. Nope. No, they were not, or no, nope. they were. America joined. America entered World War II in 1940, and this movie came out in 1942. So, so they were in, but the movie was clearly right. Rick is very much a stand-in for Americans who were proponents of isolationism, who did not want to get involved in the war, who want thought felt that it would be better to stay neutral. Rick is very clearly a stand-in for that sort of. American. So that's important to note. The second thing is this is one of the most iconic films maybe of all time on the American Film Institute's top 100 movie quotes of all time, which they released in 2007, I want to say, maybe. Uh, Casablanca has, I believe, six of the 100 quotes, the most of any movie or the most tied with Gone with the Wind. Uh, this film is regularly cited as one of the greatest of all time, along with Citizen Kane. I think it's probably the one that is in the mainstream consciousness as like an iconic classic of cinema. And yeah, so it's hard to watch the movie divorced from the knowledge of everything it means now. It won Best Picture at the time and continues to just receive incredible amounts of praise. But... You know, let's dive into it. What do we think? We've got, you know, all of these namby-pamby critics through the years have treated this movie with some children's gloves. Now it's time for the real critics to come in. Um, Elliot, opening thoughts. How do you feel about this film? Okay, my opening thoughts are this is actually very confusing because I've been checking my fact-checking myself while you were talking and so America entered World War II in December of 1941. This movie came out in 1942, so there's every chance, I'm not 100% sure when in 1942, but you probably are right that it was that it was written or was in production at a time when America was still neutral. So, oh, okay. Hey, good deal. We don't have to we don't have to add that to the list of retractions. Yeah, yeah retractions. Um, yeah, my thoughts. So, Nathan, everything you said was true. We watched this together a long time ago, and then I this is the second time that I've watched it since then. Or, no, this is the second time I've watched it in my entire life. Um, mm-hmm. And I know that I recommended it for La La Land, and I've always talked about enjoying it. So I was like, yeah, this is going to be, this is going to be good. I'm going to enjoy it. But, uh, dude, this movie's like, really really good this movie they should like make this iconic or something this should be a hollywood legend <laughs> oh gosh you know what's funny i think i had the exact same reaction that i was like i've always talked about it and i was really hoping when i started the movie like boy i hope this is as good and as soon as it starts it is just old hollywood perfection from floor to ceiling I mean, the acting, the cinematography, the music, the story, the dialogue is all 
so, so well done. I'm so glad you liked it because when you kind of started, I was like, oh, gosh, he's going to not like we're going to have another contentious episode. Uh, looks like it's not. Looks like we get to both talk about how good the movie is. Uh, so where do you where do you want to start? You know, where do you even begin with a, a film like this? Well, I'm going to start just because what you said there about this being perfect old Hollywood perfection. I think that that's, that is exactly what I was thinking when I was watching this, especially as it relates to Humphrey Bogart. When I was watching mm. him, my, the, the first thought I had was this is vintage quintessential old Hollywood leading man. Just the way he's dressed, the way he conducts himself, the way he holds himself, the way he commands the presence, the way he commands the attention of the camera, even just down to the fact, even just down to the way he holds a cigarette and stares moodily into the middle distance. Like he is absolutely the stoic kind of a bit closed off, but still deeply charismatic and powerful Hollywood leading man. And I was I was absolutely drinking it all up. I do think that that kind of leads into the one, not significant, but like the one problem that I did notice while I was watching this is I was like, this is also, also Ilsa is also vintage old Hollywood leading lady. And that's not as entertaining or... Um, as good. Yeah. And I mean, we can kind of get into later Elsa and some of those supporting cast, but I'm glad you started with Humphrey Bogart. I mean, he, the, the man's an icon. This is the forties. So we're well, I don't have my timelines incredibly nailed down, but this is the start of, or near the beginning of kind of noir. So this idea of the leading man being someone who's very calm and collected but you know that there's something, right? There's something else behind it all. Rick is so cool and neutral. And then as soon as Ilsa walks into, his, you know, of all the gin joints and all the towns and all the world, she walks into mine, the veneer starts to fall apart, right? He no longer can stay as composed as he was before where he could be so aloof and apathetic. Now he's, you know, dragged kind of kicking and screaming into all of the political questions that he's sort of been ignoring. And I think Humphrey Bargart is amazing because he works. I think it was something you said with no country for old men, right? That the ideas of the movie are wrapped up in the character of the movie. The ideas of we should not be isolationist and we should enter into the war are wrapped up in Rick's own battle between Right, his motto that he says a couple times at the beginning, I I don't stick my neck out for anyone, with clearly a desire to do good in the world. He's helped in Ethiopia and Spain. He's been on the side of right democracy and freedom. So he clearly has, like uh, I think the police captain says, he's a rank sentimentalist at heart. So we know there's kind of that under the surface, but it's this battle of you know, is he going to do the right thing or is he going to look out for number one? Is he going to make a selfish choice? And so the ideas of the movie are wrapped up in the character and Rick is one of the most iconic characters in cinema history. It's just amazing. Humphrey Bogart is an icon and he looks like he was 
50 years old from the time he was 20 until the day he died. <laughs> I mean, yeah, there's there there he's such a solid character, uh, by which I mean he's well written, but also like he just looks like he's carved from stone. He looks <laughs> he looks the way he feels and the way he acts is what I'm saying. Like he yeah. looks heavy and burdened and again, this is all so this is all taken right from the pages of Hollywood history. This idea of the leading man as being a kind of stoic, kind of existing at a remove from the rest of the world. Mm. Not necessarily being like above the rest of the world, but it's it's very much the Western trope of the rugged, independent individualist. Um, and I think that it's interesting that in this context, that's almost something that he has to overcome, this instinct towards individualism not not individualism but like independence and existing at that remove from the rest of the world because you're right he obviously sees things that are happening and that he knows are wrong and he has to fight to keep himself from intervening like he's he wants to help but he feels like because of his past experiences that it's just going to go wrong and that it's going to end up with him getting hurt. And so he has to actively resist the impulse to do good. And I think that's something that a lot of people can relate to. And even if you can't, I think it still makes for a really engaging, compelling character. Yeah. Yeah. I think maybe to open this up then a bit, let's talk about some of the supporting characters who are around Humphrey Bogart's <laughs> what I just really like all the characters in this movie oh my goodness I I think the two that I would really like to highlight is the police captain and Victor Laszlo Victor Laszlo is the French Elliot is so excited this is ridiculous <laughs> um Victor Laszlo is the French freedom fighter that Ilsa shows up with, is married to. And I think the movie does such an amazing job of not... I think it would have been so easy for the movie to make him seem like, right, a goof or naive or kind of, right, that he's that he's kind of clueless, right? We've seen this so many times of the classic leading man and the leading lady, right, are in love, and then there's some idiot boyfriend who has no idea what's going on, has no clue about anything, and especially with Laszlo being, right, our protagonist is so cynical, and Laszlo is clearly so optimistic and hopeful, it would have been easy for the movie to make him seem like just a complete moron, and they don't. They very clearly show that Laszlo is not an optimist because he has no idea that right? Bad things happen. He's an optimist because he knows that if bad things happen and you do nothing, bad things are just going to keep happening. And if you put some good in the world, some good is going to happen. And so I think I'm really impressed by that. And then the police captain is just so funny. He's so well-written. He's so goofy and in, in a way that never removes the danger that exists when he's around that he's kind of silly, but there's always kind of this understanding like, oh, he could, right, he can cause issues for our protagonists. And I just, gosh, when he, <laughs> he shuts down Rick's, <laughs> and, 
And he's like, I'm shocked, shocked, I say, that to find that gambling was taking place here. Here are your winnings, sir. Oh, thank you very much. <laughs> shocked. <laughs> you know, I, it's just classic. It's so good. So those were the two kind of side characters that I really wanted to highlight. I think they're so well done of kind of both of them straddling a line that easily could have gone too far one direction and made the movie significantly worse. But I think they just right down the middle with both of them. Uh, I agree wholeheartedly. Those were, those were the same two characters that I was planning on highlighting. I don't really have anything to add. Uh, just say that those characters are fantastic. I don't think that any character in this movie is necessarily very complex like in their motivations or their backstories or their actions or anything like that. But I think that they're all built on a few fundamental and simple yet very well executed strengths. And the movie just leans into mm. those strengths. So the kind, like you said, the kind of silly lighthearted danger that the police captain Louis, Louis represents or the, idealistic heroism that Laszlo represents or the cynical isolationism that Rick represents. Everyone just sort of has these singular or maybe in a few cases duo or two motivations or core aspects to their character that the writers just really leaned into. And I think it just, it worked really well. And I did love Laszlo and his, he, I think that, the word that I would probably, if I were to sum up this movie in one word, it would probably be romantic. Um, mm. Obviously, you've got the actual, like, romance between um, Ilsa and Rick, but also in the sense that it's just this very grand, very... Uh, it's hard to describe romanticism, but this very emotional kind of... It's like heart knowledge versus head knowledge. Like romance is about how things make you feel and how they look. So it's all very elegant, very ornate, very grand and very epic, not necessarily in scale, but in how it's depicted. So you've got Laszlo, he's talking about, about the threat that the Nazis pose and he's talking about it in very romantic terms. Like he says... Um, you can kill me or you can kill all and you can kill all of the leaders of all the different rebellions, but thousands more will just rise up to replace them. And that's an incredibly romantic sentiment. It's hard to put into words. Just look up romanticism as an aesthetic and as a sort of mode of storytelling or artistic creation. And I think you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah. Well, and I think you can find that too, just in terms of, I think it's kind of a paint with broad strokes sort of idea. And that's exactly the word that romantic is exactly the word that I think a lot of people use. And the word that instantly came, I mean, Rick sitting there in the bar after hours drinking, and he tells Sam to write play as time goes by. And then it flashes back to Paris. I mean, that is just such an incredibly romantic and evocative image and the music does such an amazing job of pulling you in to this world of Casablanca. And I think the opening does a lot to establish, right, the vibe that it's kind of a dog, Casablanca is kind of a, a dog eat dog world. Everyone's in it for them, 
themselves and the police are kind of corrupt and everyone's kind of just a bit of a dirt bag. And then, right, Laszlo and Elsa enter and they are very ideologically pure. And so then there's this instant tension between the murky morality of Casablanca and the rock solid ideologies of these two characters. And it's, again, yeah, I think you really hit it on the head. It's very romantic, not just in like romance, like love, but romantic, like just thinking of the world as a place where anything amazing can happen. And you can walk into a random bar in Africa and there's right. This guy you spent a summer in Paris with, and it's going to be this huge thing. Ugh, it's so, ugh. It's so the opening like 30 minutes is just immaculate in terms of conveying, I think, that that romanticism. And then the last 10 minutes, too, is just amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So I want to sort of make a lateral move here and talk about the dialogue because I was just drinking it up. Uh, (laughs) I really like old Hollywood dialogue because it's so snappy and so not it's not necessarily verbose in the sense that in like a pejorative sense that people are using too many words to say very little but everyone's just communicating themselves in such a quippy fun way it's just so much fun to listen to and all the conversations feel like equations like everything everyone says in response to everyone else just fits perfectly with what has preceded and will proceed them Uh, And I don't really have any specific examples, but it's just everyone has the perfect thing to say in response to everyone else. The rapport is pitch perfect and everyone does kind of talk in the same way, but I don't care because I just find it so much fun to listen to their little jokes and turns of phrases. And yeah, uh, also, it's just a very romantic way of talking, how elegant and erudite everyone is yeah i think the the lines that really stuck out to me just in terms of a lot of the things rick would say in response when the police captain asks him like why are you in casablanca and he says i came to casablanca for the for the waters and the captain's like well it's a desert he's like yeah i was misinformed that it's right a joke clearly he's not there for the waters but it's just such a beautiful way of sidestepping right getting around which he does later in the conversation with the german general when the general is trying to kind of figure out how rick really feels about nazis and the war and stuff and rick just brilliantly sidesteps each of his kind of attempts that he's like can you imagine us in london and he's like well once you get in london let me know that he's just moving away from it so he doesn't have to right make his position clear but yeah the dialogue i love old hollywood dialogue it's just so a lot of them i have to have it on subtitles because the audio is funky but then you just you get to sit with all these great lines yeah there's a lot of verbal sparring that constitutes most of the film's action in the sense that it constitutes most of what's moving the plot forward most of this movie All of this movie is just people talking in different settings, but the way they're talking and the things they're talking about is just so interesting and well done and so dry and understated despite being very 
eloquent and intricate that it all just adds up to something that I could listen to for hours. And I'm even though I also respect how this movie is still economical with its action, by which I mean it knows what it's trying to do, it gets in and does it without much without really anything that feels like fluff or padding. Yeah. Yeah. I guess just before we move on from the dialogue, do you what what's your favorite iconic Casablanca line. I mean, there's obviously quite a few, but but do you have one that you're like, oh man, that is such, that is just, ooh, that is immaculate. I don't know. I really like, I'm not 100% sure how it starts. I think it's, I've seen enough to know that the problems of three people don't amount to Mm -hmm. a hill of beans in this crazy world of ours. And I like that because it's just a cool, snappy, well-constructed line. But also, I think I really like it in the context of where it comes in Rick's character arc, that he's decided to just do the right thing and set himself aside to work for the greater good. That's a great... I'm a sucker for... I mean, We'll Always Have Paris is such a stupidly like simple line that just instantly evokes... in Evokes? invokes creates in people such a sense of right this nostalgic desire for a thing that we've lost but it's such a it's place in the film is such a positive sentiment right rick is not saying we'll always have paris and we'll never have anything good again but he's like we're not gonna stop doing good things just because we right We'll always have Paris. We haven't lost it. We'll always have it. And so we're going to right, be good people moving forward. So I, lo- I love we'll always have Paris. <laughs> I, I, feel, I feel like we're going so fast through, so fast through this just because, you know, it's all so good. But I do, let's, you know, let's talk about now and we've sort of, avoided it for most of this but ingrid berkman is is ilsa i believe is how it's pronounced is the the female lead in the film uh what do you think of her or what do you think of her character and such i mean yeah this is this is the unfortunate side effect of a movie being quintessentially old hollywood is that the women only really exist in the context of the men in their lives, right? Mm. So Ilsa doesn't really have much in the way of her own <clears throat> journey. Like, she's she's not the most egregious example of just a sort of fawning, emotionally emotional woman that I've seen in old movies, because she does have a conflict it's just the conflict is very male centric yeah which makes a certain amount of sense for the story that she's in but also the story that she's in exists at kind of a confluence of a lot of fairly high stakes wide reaching <clears throat> political undertones about World War II and about the various resistances in Nazi-occupied countries, and she doesn't really care about any of that, or she doesn't seem to. Like, she she seems, she has a bit 
about uh, wanting Laszlo to continue his work and him being important to the resistances, but that's pretty secondary to her principal characteristic, which is being pretty and her and also liking Rick. I think the most painful example of this is when she goes to Rick to try to convince him, excuse me, to give her the papers, and then she just sort of falls all over him, and then she's like, I'm too frightened to think you think for both of us. And I was like, oh, that's pretty rough. That's pretty unfortunate. Yeah, and I do think... I mean, she doesn't even have agency in the sense of she gets to pick who she ends up with, right? Like, Rick essentially makes the decision for her and says, you have to do this thing. So I think there probably could have been more in terms of her wanting to stay with Rick versus her, right? Just like Rick making the selfless decision to go with Victor, but even that, it's like, okay, you have to go with Victor to what? Cuddle him on dark nights? There's no sense in which she is th- that much of a collaborator in what he's doing. Surely he could do most of what he's doing without her or without her you know, holding his hand while he writes uh, political essays on his typewriter or something like that. So it is a, a, unfortunate that the character has so kind of little to do. But I will say, Ingrid Berkman, very talented actress. I thought she did an amazing job of creating so much of the emotion and romanticism in the main, right, romantic pairing because Humphrey Bogart is fairly stone-faced through much of the film. So Ingrid really has to be the one to kind of pick up the slack and convince you that these two are really in love or were in love in Paris, at least. I think in that sense, she's a bit better, but yeah, she, (laughs) she doesn't have a lot to do. Yeah. This is the unfortunate thing about old Hollywood is that old Hollywood for all of its magic and romanticism is still a product of its time. And in its time, it like most of Western culture, we're enthralled to the idea of pretty specific roles for men and women in movies and in general life. Like the way I heard it put to me once was that women kind of acted as like men's anchor and cleanser that the men would, that the men would go out into the world where everything was dirty and there was immorality and drunkenness and vices basically. And then they would come back to the woman and her job was to sort of cleanse him of all that and bring him back to being a good person. Obviously, that's extremely backwards and represents a pretty nonsensical vision of ethics or uh, doing the right thing. But I think that you can definitely see that in this movie, that Ilsa is to Rick, or not Rick, to Laszlo what a woman is supposed to be to a man, that she's just supposed to be there to kind of be his emotional fuel for the important work that he's doing, and she doesn't actually really take part in any of the actual work, uh, which is, it's un, it's very, it's wrong, obviously, and it's unfortunate that it leaves such a notable bad taste in the mouth after watching a movie that is this good. I think that 
if she had been a little bit more over Rick's nonsense, like when she in that scene where they reunite in the in the bar when she's trying to convince him to give her the papers and she's like one woman hurts you and you take revenge on the rest of the world. You're a coward and a weakling. I was like, nice, good job. Well said. That's a well-aimed verbal thrust. And then she immediately goes back on it and gets teary-eyed and she's like, Rick, I'm sorry. I'm just really scared. And I was like, no, come on. You were so close. And so I think that if her role in the movie had been more of a counterpart to Rick and more of a foil for him rather than just like, an object of fascination for him or just a piece of his own character motivation. I think that that would, that would have gone down much better, but we didn't really get that. Yeah. Well, and all of this is fairly dense sort of cinema feminist theory sort of stuff that doesn't necessarily take a huge amount of the, you know, it's kind of a, one of those things that when you sit with the movie for a while, you realize these things and you're like, Oh, that's, unfortunate that it's got these kind of gender stereotypes in it but i feel like the movie does such a good job of right sucking you into the action and adventure and romance of the film that that i don't know if that's going to be something that you're going to notice as you watch it or at least it wasn't something that instantly came to mind as i watched the movie i was just like wow you know this movie is so good and so fun and i'm having so much fun watching it well uh, it came to mind when I was watching it. Like, these are the okay. thoughts that I had as I was watching that scene with them. And I think that it's going to be different for different people. Like, I can easily imagine a woman watching this and being fairly frustrated with how she's being portrayed on screen and that having a very appreciable effect on her enjoyment of it. And I'm not going to sit here and say, like, well, that's wrong. You should be more impressed with everything else. I think that... That's that. I think that that's a completely valid take on the movie because that it I that is that would be very frustrating. But we have uh, we sort of have the privilege of being able to kind of disregard that. Not completely. Certainly, I don't disregard it completely. But being able to appreciate other things about the movie. And if that's, you know, if that's a block for you, I think that that's a completely legitimate stance to have. Yeah. Um, I do want to say just kind of on a similar-ish note that this movie does have in the character of Sam, who is African-American, a fairly decent, fairly early representation of black people on the screen this was only two years after gone with the wind which is kind of famous for having a very poor portrayal of african-american characters or certainly a somewhat backwards portrayal compared to what we would have now but sam is a fairly i mean doesn't have get a lot to do but he is as realized a character as any of the other members of rick's bar so i i just thought that was kind of neat as well as every time he plays as time goes by. I'm just like, wow, amazing. (laughs) Uh, I mean, when he was playing Knock on Wood, I was like, wow, this is so much fun. I wish I could go to a bar and hear this. Uh, But obviously, I'm never going to go to a bar. So I'm just going to have to listen to it on my own. But that's a really fun ditty. And yeah, he definitely, I mean, he could have been a lot worse. That's for sure. 
And it definitely, it's a bit strange that in this North African country, most of the people, even most of the extras were fairly clearly white. So it, it could have been worse. It, it could have been a lot worse. It could have been a lot better. Uh, I, I would just be inclined to call it a wash. But again, I can easily understand why somebody else would be would find it more distracting and more detracting from their experience of the movie. Yeah. Well, um, I think that's pretty much it for my sort of, for most of my thoughts. Do you have any closing thoughts or kind of negatives not related to, I guess, the social content of the film, I suppose? Uh, I honestly, I have to shout out when they were in the bar. And first of all, I think that, I think that this is, the the Nazis in this movie are like classic old Hollywood Nazi villains. Like they're talking about taking over the world, even though just for a brief history lesson, that was never really in the Nazis agenda, like world domination. They were at least in World War II, they were pretty much preoccupied with just taking over most of Europe and probably Africa for the oil. But they didn't have any like extensive plans to take over the Eastern hemisphere, but still I think that they were, they were good, simple, hateable villains. Just talking about doing bad things. Cause they are of course, bad people being Nazis. Um, but also when they're in the bar and Laszlo comes out and the Germans are singing on the piano and he goes over and has the band play what I think may have been the French national anthem, or it may have just been a song from the revolution from the French Revolution, I'm not 100% sure, but everyone starts singing and the woman at the bar is like crying, singing about how awesome it is to be France and everyone's yelling like, viva la France, viva la democracy. I was legitimately getting goosebumps. And that is that is also extremely romantic. The idea of everyone coming together to sing a song in a tavern about freedom and about casting off the chains of oppression like that is incredibly romantic and i loved it i was i was legitimately getting goosebumps during that scene no that is a great scene again because it's the classic romantic vision of the world as well as just right further reinforcing this idea of you know doing nothing when bad people are doing bad things is tantamount to right allowing them to do it he could have just walked in and done nothing and the germans would have got to keep singing their song but he did something and he shut him down and it was better and all the french people were happy and i also read a review that just kind of stuck in my head when i saw that scene where they talked about that you know this was 1942 for a lot of french people there was a legitimate question of whether they were ever going to get to see France be France again, because Germany had taken it over. Germany was in Paris. So right. This scene of people, sometimes when you watch old movies, you forget this sort of historical context, but for a person watching that in 1942, the war was not a closed quite like we they didn't know the outcome yet so it was a significantly more hopeful and optimistic thing to watch these people sing it even than it is today and i think it even today it still conveys some of that but yeah i 
Imagine being in a theater in the ninth in 1942 and seeing this movie. That would have been crazy. That would have been great. I, I, I'm, I'm a red-blooded patriotic American. I mean, I'm not really, but I'm a red-blooded American. And I was like on my feet going like, Viva la France! Long live the revolution! <laughs> oh, gosh. That's funny. Yeah. I, I'm glad. I think the one other scene that I would kind of highlight just as a neat character moment is when that Belgian couple, when the woman comes up to Rick and is pleading for him to help. And then Rick goes and right. Rigs the roulette board so that the guy can win enough money to get out. I think that's a really great scene. And I think it really helps you understand that before up to that point, you had just heard people say that Rick was a sentimentalist. That was the first moment where you see that he is a sentimentalist. And there's other moments too, like when he's closed and he tells his butler, the whatever the guy who looked a little like Alfred Hitchcock. He looked a lot like Alfred Hitchcock. <laughs> okay. Um, he tells him that he's going to keep the people on salary even while the job, while the you know the bar is closed. I think those are just two really good moments of showing and not just telling that Rick is a good person at heart. He's just got to, you know, get over himself in some sense. Yeah, um, I guess my for my last thought, I do love this movie's ending. Um, and I think what Rick does is very noble, obviously. And obviously, they're like cramming in all of the famous lines there at the end with the, we'll always have Paris. And here's looking at you, kid, and Hill of Beans. And this is the start of a beautiful friendship. Um, Round up the usual suspects. Round up the usual suspects, which, if you did not know, inspired the name of The Usual Suspects, uh, which is an excellent little movie. <clears throat> the captain, like, he's a corrupt official, and he he's he's a gleefully corrupt official for the entire movie. And then he decides at the very end to um, to join the resistance with uh, Rick, which I I I wasn't really like. I was like, yeah, I. Okay, I didn't really get any sense that that was built up in any way. Like, you could argue that he is just an opportunist and that he had only been working with the Germans because he had to. I mean, he says that he just goes whichever way the wind blows. But with the German uh, ambassador dead, he didn't have to... Like, he could have just stayed there and framed someone else being a corrupt official. But he decided to go join fight the good fight with Rick, which was not necessarily the most opportunistic thing to do. So I was, I just, I didn't really understand that, but it was a minor thing. Yeah. I mean, that is, that's fair. And I think there are a few minor things, just minor scenes of like, okay, this is a little goofy, but yeah. Well, let's get, let's get into ratings then. Uh, I'm going to go, no surprise here, this is a classic, a well-deserved classic. This is, I think, one of the most watchable classics of cinema. I've talked to a lot of friends who have seen both this and Citizen Kane, and they like this a lot more than Citizen Kane, because this one's more watchable than Kane. But I think it's a really impressive feat that a movie that was kind of speaking to such a specific cultural moment because it's so romantic and paints with such broad strokes, even now, 
right? 80 years later, the movie hits just as hard on a lot of those emotional beats. Um, yeah, there's a few quibbles just in terms of representation and some of the characters being a little flat. But on the whole, I'm going to have to give this an 8.8. .8. I mean, this is in my top 10 best picture winners. This is, this is a great film. Wow, I thought you were going higher than that. Um, <clears throat> I really liked this movie. I liked it a lot. Uh, I think it's fair to say I liked it significantly more than I was expecting it to, but I came away from this movie 100% convinced of the righteousness of its place as a all-time classic. Um, it is very watchable. I think Citizen Kane is a lot more dense than this movie is, and Citizen Kane is trying to do a lot more with its characters and with its themes than this movie is. But uh, yeah, this movie is a very movie-y movie. Uh, if that makes any sense at all. And it is vintage old Hollywood. And for the most part, that's a great thing. Um, but unfortunately, there there are some areas in which that translates to things being pretty awkward and uh, pretty problematic. Um, so I, I can't in good faith give this movie a perfect score, but I do think that it is a masterpiece and an achievement for the ages. So I'm going to give it an A. Yep. Nice. Wow. This is so great. I mean, you. this is a, a very neat surprise. I really was thinking that you were going to get down on this, but this is fantastic. Recommendations. That's what we always do. Uh, we went in different directions with ours. I think Elliot, in kind of an interesting change, Elliot went more thematic, which I think is what I do. And I went more kind of literal. Uh, but I'm going to go with another... Uh, I want to say it's from 1936 or 37. So it's from a bit earlier than this movie, but it was made uh, by a German or a Polish, I want to say Polish Jew who pretty much flew to America. And as soon as he got to America from fleeing the Germans, he made this movie and it is to be or not to be. It's more of a comedy than this film, but it's kind of uh, on a similar track. It's about a acting troupe who is trapped in Warsaw in Poland when the Nazis come in and about them kind of pulling the wool over the Nazis' eyes, pulling a fast one on them and success and, you know, trying to get, I think it's a... British fighter pilot out of the country or getting all of them out of the country. But it's an incredibly entertaining movie. I think the female lead is significantly better than the female lead in this movie. She has a lot more to do. It's incredibly funny. It's a fascinating film just as a early, like very, very early in the war and in just kind of human history, a person making a movie this staunchly anti-Nazi and anti all of this other stuff. But yeah, it's a ton of fun, super funny. I think it's kind of underrated. I don't see it talked about a ton, but yeah, to be or not to be is my recommendation. Uh, yeah, I can second that recommendation. That's a great little movie. It's very funny. It's a lot of fun. Don't really have anything to add. It came out in 1942, by the way. So the same Dang. year as Casablanca. 
1936, Germany had not invaded Poland, so that would have been very strange for them to be so uh, prescient. Well, I mean, it was, I think at that point it was in the cards, but still, it would have been a, a bit strange. So this is after World War II had started, but still, it, everything that Nathan says, I think, holds fairly true. And uh, yeah, it's a great movie. I... I struggled with this one, to be honest. Um, so I ended up going with a movie that's about a cynical old man coming back around to um, to the world and to doing the right thing in spite of the pain that he's endured. Uh, and that is Up, the Pixar movie <laughs> that everyone knows about the flying house. Um, I love this movie. It's so adorable and it's so much fun. And I love the talking dogs. And everyone who's out there saying that the only reason people like Up is because of the beginning, just shut up to them, I say, uh, because Up is a great movie even after those first five minutes, in my humble opinion. I think that it's the perfect Pixar movie because it's so childlike. Like, there's so much... there. It's very... Like, it's everything that children love and everything that isn't really possible about being a child, like imagining a house flying with balloons or dogs being able to talk. Like what kid with a dog hasn't ever wondered if their dog could just talk to them and wasn't just hiding it. I certainly thought that and I didn't even have a dog when I was a kid. <laughs> but yeah, it's a, it's a great movie. And I do love Carl, the main character, his arc of coming back from this pain that he's endured. And it's just, it's just, a, it's a great time. I love up. Yeah. I mean, up is a fantastic movie. I wholeheartedly agree with your sentiment that people who think it's only praised for those opening for that opening, um, I think they should go back and watch the rest of the movie, which is just as funny and amazing as the opening, in my opinion. It's one of the best Pixar movies out there. Um, yeah. Thank you for listening, Rob from Miami. Oh. Whoa, yeah. What? Hey, I just have to say that there's been a bit too much happiness in this episode, a bit too much talking about freedom and democracy and things like that. So I think it's it's high time someone remind us that life is hard and full of disappointments. Oh, perfect. Thank goodness you're here for that. I agree. Um, yeah, thank you, Rob from Miami. If that is your name, if that is the correct person who requested this movie, thanks for requesting a great movie. We've had a a lot of great requests, so, you know, keep them coming in, absolutely, and keep them being good movies as well, because we really like those. Uh, be sure to check out the blog. That's the links in the description for the podcast. It's in the episode. I might put in the description for this episode, too, just to reduce the number of clicks you'll have to take to get there. You know, leave a nice comment telling Elliot how good his writing is. He's very insecure, so be sure to do that. Um, yeah, and then next week we'll be back for another new episode.